Dave, we are a podcast about music for musicians and for people that really understand the power and value that music can bring into people's lives. The last few months, however, have been particularly challenging for musicians and people that work in and around music. And so today we're very proud to show our support for a fantastic charity doing some brilliant work in this area here in the UK. That's all right, John. Um, Help Musicians are a, an amazing charity who offer a wide range of services and support for those based in the UK. This includes work with creative programmes, support with health and wellbeing, to name but a few. So for those who love music, want to support the industry and help see it grow, please visit www.helpmusicians.org.uk. Love music, help musicians. Now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Punk Rock Academy podcast with me, Dave. And me, John. Dave, we have just had a, uh, well, a very honest, a very interesting and occasionally emotional interview with Carlos from the Nils. Um, if you don't know the Nils, it's, well, first of all, you, sh- you need to listen to them because they're incredible. Um, their story is uh, is one of sort of sadness, perhaps in many parts, but actually um there's some heartwarming moments in there as well as we'll hear in this interview um dave for me the nils are the one band that i listen to and think how did these guys not get huge not maybe huge in terms of sort of you know stadiums but big with some of the great names that we talk about today like the replacements like Cuscadoo. um for me the nils are easily talked about in the same sort of breath we're around at the same sort of time in that same sort of scene but never never quite made it for reasons that we talk about um, there are many of them, but what's that sort of band for you, Dave? What's the band that you listen to? You think, how are these guys not massive? How are they not like an everyday household name? One of the band I've probably mentioned before in the past, and I, I do wholeheartedly believe they could have been huge. Um, subsequently, the band that one of the members went on to did um, make ways in, in the mainstream, and that was The Kills. And that was Alison Moss Hart from the band Discount. Discount, I think, are absolutely fantastic. They played a perfect mix of pop, punk, really catty tunes. And I saw them a couple of times in London, frankly, before they broke up. But they're one of the ones who I think really could have been huge, given the right opportunity on the right label and at the right time. So, yeah, Discount for me are one of those bands who came close but didn't quite get there. Yeah, there must be so many of them, those little moments that just kind of went flying by, those sort of sliding door moments that kind of... um little missed opportunities oh well um we talk about that a lot but before we get to the chat with Carlos I'm very pleased to say that if you haven't heard the nils now is your chance we have thanks to the wonderful people at Labac store in Canada um an offer for you to get the nils album reissued on vinyl shadows and ghosts uh you can get a 10% discount um we will put the link into the liner notes of this podcast but to get the discount all you need to do is add the code shadows s-h-a-d-o-w-s uh and you get a 10 percent discount it's available i think for a week i think there's only 100 copies of the vinyl being pressed so get on there quick and get yourself a little discount on a great piece of vinyl um enjoy listening to the nils but before you listen to the nils here's carlos from the nils how are you keeping I'm doing okay, you know, considering the situation in the world right now, we're doing good. We're in the studio right now. We're recording a new EP and uh, we're about to release uh, the last album we put out in 2015, Shadows and Ghosts. So things are going good. Yeah, I mean, things, yeah, I mean, obviously seeing you, seeing you guys are in the studio, you've got that, um, there's a nice mention in uh, We Can Be The New Wind. Um, you've just put out that live recording from 92, I think, the other day. So yeah. things, things seem like they're going kind of okay right now in the world. Oh, there it is. There's the, the new yeah. in the book. It's an awesome book, man. It was really nice that he did that and stuff. And that's me on the top, right? Jumping. So oh, on top it. of all the other guys, you know? So I was pretty happy about that. I mean, that, that's great. Did, did you know that you guys were going to be in the book? Yeah, he, he uh, contacted me, I guess, a 
a year ago or something like that. And he let us know he was going to put us in there. So that's nice. He's a good guy. He's been following us for a while. So it's nice, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the payoff for us, you know, things like that, you know, we don't make a lot of money at this. So things like that are, are, are what warms my heart and stuff. And, you know, and then at the same time, I remembers from my little brother, you know, so that's kind of cool. Well, it's great. And it's, it's important. I mean, I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this. Uh, we'll go through the whole history and we'll start at the beginning. And we'll go right to the modern day, but you know, from, from the outside looking in, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, heart on my sleeve, huge Nils fan. I have been for a, for a long time. Thanks, um, and there's a lot of friends of mine that, that, that love, love the Nils, but, you know, being from the outside in, I, I, I hate the story seems to be, and it's a really sad, sad one that there does seem to be a story of kind of missed opportunity and, and a lot of sadness about the Nils. And I think that really misses a lot of the beauty and everything in the music, but it, you know, it's stuff like that. Like you said, is that, is, is what's happening now sort of what should have happened a long time ago? Do you feel like you're getting a bit more recognition perhaps? Yeah, in a sense, yeah. It seems to be that, uh, you know, more people are, are noticing it now and stuff. I mean, you know, missed opportunities. I mean, it, it, it's, it was a sticky situation what happened and stuff. But at the same time, the fact that people appreciate the music to this day is a good thing, you know, so whether you know what happened and stuff like you said it's sad and all but you know we don't always want to dwell on it that's why we keep playing music in a sense it 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 keeps him close and stuff like that and it's a way to honor him you know i think most people see that you know most people don't see it as we're trying to a money grab or anything like that but yeah, it's uh, it's a stories with a lot of up and downs, you know, but hey, we're not the only ones. Music business is a very tough business and, you know, things happen that, you know, it's not always the most talented guy that makes it, you know, and stuff like that. So whatever. I mean, I, you know, it's for sure it's always there, but I try not to dwell on it too much. And that's why I try and make new music and and keep the spirit. I think we've done that pretty well, considering he's not around. I mean, you know, we we got a lot of reviews about the last album, too, which was a hard thing to do. I mean, you know, I didn't want to be a singer. That's why my brother was the singer, you know, but we did pretty good off it. So I think, you know, I was expecting a lot more backlash. And, you know, when people appreciated it, I was kind of very happy, you know. So, I mean, that, like I said, that's why I do it, just to keep him, you know, close to me and stuff. So that's why I do it. It's, it's, it's amazing, really. I know, obviously, the thing about art, music, it's something that you know, it remains forever. And obviously, you mentioned about the book, and you, you're, you're now documented within those pages now. And these are stories that are, you know, passed on to different people, generations, which will keep the spirit and the interest in your music and the band alive still. Yeah, just the fact that people were in the history books. I mean, some people like, you know, I know people that never even had left the island of Montreal. I've, you know, I've traveled the world. I've played in amazing clubs. I've played with amazing bands. I know a lot of cool people. I get to meet people like you guys and stuff, you know. My friend here with his record store, you know, it's like I always tell him it's like a museum in here, you know. It's like I love just hanging out and looking at all these records, you know. And uh, it's amazing that people would do that in a sense. Sure, it would have been nice to to make Green Day money, you know, but what the heck, you know, maybe even worse things would have happened. Who knows? You know? <laughs> it's mean, not all about money. And especially now in the situation we're living in the world, I mean, I think people are starting to realize that it's not all just about what we thought it was, you know, how much stuff you have and this and that, you know. As far as art and all that, I, I think we've done pretty good, you know. Hey, man, you're calling me from England to talk to me. So, you know, that's a pretty big thing right there, you know. Oh, that's great. Well, we're, we're, it's a pretty big thing for us, too. Um, I mean, let's just start at, at the end um, and then we'll work our way back, Carlos. But what's uh, you're in the studio, so you've got this new it's a new EP. Um, what's the kind of current lineup? Is this guys that you've played with for a long time? Is it the same lineup from the from the last album? What can we expect? Is it more of the same of the kind of classic melodic nil sounds? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the same. It's the same lineup. Uh, Phil Sarkos and Mark Donato, who've been with me for a long time. We have a new drummer, Emilien Catalano, who plays with Moving Targets too. Maybe you you've met him in your travels there. I think <laughs> they're yeah. coming over actually again. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. 
He's a good, he's a younger drummer. He's, he's a good guy. He's a good kid. He's been with us for about six years now. So yeah, he's, he, it's working. It's going to be the same. It's pretty much the same. We're doing it with uh, the same guy, Peter Edwards, who's the guitar player in Grim Skunk. We're doing it at his studio, Indica, which is a cool little studio here in Montreal. And yeah, it's pretty much the same. We got like uh, some new songs that we worked out and uh, we got some old ones that we never got a chance to record properly. So, yeah, it'll be it's going to be the same sort of Nils melodic, you know, pop punk or whatever, you know. And what's the what's the songwriting process like for you then? So, you know, how, how much thought and process do you need to go into writing a Nils, a Nils album as opposed to just sitting down and jamming? Do you have to... Do you have to, is it difficult to channel what you guys have been doing for the last 30, 40 years and what your brother did, obviously, in, as a big part of that? Or is it just what, what is going to come out naturally anyway? And can I say, can I add just one more thing to that, John? Um, obviously, you mentioned with the new recorders, you're going to be like, you know, bringing up some older, older songs which you haven't had a chance to record. Have there been any kind of changes from you know, when you first created these and how they've developed into you know, what you're going to be producing now? Absolutely. Yeah. The, you know, bits that you had, were, were, whether they be riffs or words, you always work on them and change them over the years. We, we That was a process we did in, in, in the old mills with Alex and stuff. We'd have songs and over the years they would change or they weren't finished and stuff, match different things together. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's a natural process. We don't we we stick to what we do best. We're not like you know we're not Pink Floyd or nothing. So we stick to what we like to play, which is simple sort of rock and roll, you know. With and and our influences, you know, that we a lot of early British punk rock stuff, you know. That's that's what we liked originally and stuff. So it doesn't really change much, but it it gets better. I think our playing has gotten better over the years. I mean, you know, you, you kind of have to improve, you know, by force of habit anyways, but um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not very hard for us. We just, when the time comes and we have to record, then we have to like buckle up and sort of organize everything, you know, we'll jam on stuff for years and years and never recorded or things like that. We'll play it live. We know we mess around. We, have, we get a lot of freedom, you know? So we basically do what we love and what we like. We don't tend to uh, to trends or anything like that. You know, we do what, what we're known for and people seem to appreciate that. You know what I mean? So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, stick yeah, to what we, you know, you know? Yeah. Well, no, please, please, please don't, please don't veer too far off it. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you, you've kind of touched on it already. So let's start there. Then you talked about those kind of early British punk bands that, that influenced you guys you were well. You, you're the older brother, and Alex was was the younger brother. He was really young when he started. When you guys started playing, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I want to hear about about those influences and about what what was going on when you guys started that band. But I really want to know what strikes me as as being a big Nils fan is it's almost an injustice to just point to early punk rock as an influence because some of that stuff that you guys were creating when you were so even that first EP with scratches and needles on it. And then obviously the first album that came out a few years later, there is some like unbelievably mature, incredibly emotional music in there. Um, yeah. So give me an idea of like how you kind of brought in this punk rock um, sensibilities and the love of that early punk rock, but where did that other stuff come from? What was going on that brought that other sort of melodic side in? Well, I, I guess, you know, we were kids, we grew up on like 70s sort of cheesy radio at the time, a lot of influences. And growing up in, in Montreal, there's an English-French thing going on too, so that's that. But then when punk rock hit, like the British stuff, the Pistols, I mean, that was the first album I bought. And that, then it followed, I bought the Pistols, I bought the Clash, I bought the Jam but the Stranglers, the Stranglers, we weren't too big on, but the other stuff, it, like you said, that emotional sort of melodic, like listening to the jam, all those early records, man, that was like mind blowing, you know, for us and stuff. And then, yeah, I was 15. Like my first album that I went to the store and bought was Nevermind the Bollocks. You know, I remember that day specifically. And then, you know, that was the beginning of the end, I guess, you know, but, um, 
you know, that's what we like. And we're, we were always really influenced by that. I mean, that was the beginning of it and stuff too. Then when hardcore hit, it kind of changed a bit. Like you brought on that, you know, that the scratches and needles, like the now cassette and stuff. Then things were starting to go a bit more hardcore-ish and stuff. So what happened was basically, you know, influences mix and stuff. But going back to the British stuff, that was like our first love, you know, like stiff little fingers, the rich kids and professionals of pistols, all that stuff, man. It was like to us was like, you know, wow, you know, and then we kind of just like I'd been playing first, like Alex was like a bit younger. And at first I'd already been playing music a bit. He hadn't. But when he heard that, all that brought those records and he liked it, then he started playing. So it took a while till he like worked up to my level where I was playing. And like I said, the years passed a bit, but then he was very good at like taking all that stuff and turning it into what we were playing and stuff, you know, and changing it in our own specific way. But I mean, that's what influences us the most was that first British wave, you know, not to knock anything that came after. I mean, there was other cool bands, you know, with the hardcore thing and stuff. But that was like our first love to this day. Like I still listen to 999 or the, you know, the professionals and, you know, the Rich Kids album is always an album I love to play. I mean, we cover, you know, Ghost of Princes and Towers. We cover a whole bunch of those songs, you know. That's like our, our lifeline, you know? And yeah, he, he trans, he, he was really like for a young kid, man, it was amazing what he, I remember I showed him three chords like A, D and E and like a week later, man, the guy was playing the guitar behind his head. He was like, <laughs> he was always like that. He was like a hockey. First time he, he started skating, he was like a light shine on the little kid. He was magical, man. It, it's too bad what happened because I always say my, he could have been like Bruce Springsteen or something, you know, that's how talented that kid was, you know, and a lot of people know that, you know, and they, they, they got a chance to see him and stuff. But, I honestly, like, yeah, I think it's, it's one thing to have the talent. Um, it's another thing. It's another thing to be able to make that talent kind of strike a chord with people. And, yeah. and I, I'm not just saying this um, because well, you're here, but, but I think, you know, being able to play something, but being able to write the way you guys wrote, I mean, that that's what sets the nails apart, I think, is yeah. like the, the quality of that songwriting is just Definitely. It's, it's sensational. Yeah. Well, I always say, too, we were in a funny place because we were in Canada at the time and, and, and that stuff, we were always kind of a little behind and stuff. And maybe if we things we would have been from america people have said you know I, you know i don't really know and stuff but you know it's uh it doesn't really matter in the end the fact the, the the point is that people like the music so whatever you know the rest what's happened is like inevitable you know what i mean so obviously looking back to when you were formed like john mentioned you guys were very young when you started out and um, getting into it. So, what, what was the scene like at that sort of age in that era? What, what bands That's were around? And also, you know, did you struggle to you know, get shows being at such a young age? Well, that's that's it. That was like punk rock wasn't very accepted in Montreal at first. It was like, you know, like I said, that we have this dual English French thing. Right. So being English kids from the South Shore and stuff. And there wasn't much of a scene. I mean, you know, we we have a famous club in Montreal, Fufuna Electric. It's world. It's known in the world. I mean, all these bands have played there and we grew up there playing that club. But you didn't have many more to play, you know, and touring was hard and stuff i mean we we finally got to tour in the early 80s you know because we went out with mia an american band and stuff but it wasn't as easy as it is now i always say we built the trenches that the kids play in now you know there was no circuits and stuff like that everything was very diy so yeah there was shows but it wasn't like now or like in 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 the city there might be 20 shows but there might have been one show a night you know so you got to remember things were different and and punk rock wasn't like super like huge over here like it was in england you know or in certain american cities it was still kind of like you know looked upon as like a weird little thing you know and then of course when you know the 
the million dollar contracts with Nirvana and Green Day happened, then it was like the world went upside down, you know, which was, you know, but that, that was after, you know, right after us. I mean, we kind of missed out on that, you know, who knows? We'll say people say it was like Nirvana, the Nils of Nirvana 10 years before, you know, almost, you know. I mean, I, I think I mean, that, that was I was going to ask that, that question, but we'll maybe we'll get to that later about the Nils being being ahead of their time. But when so like, when you're starting out, I mean, you obviously you you, you find this this British stuff. Um, is there anything is there any kind of alternative scene? Is there even is, is there a, is there even anything called punk as far as you're aware? On your doorstep or are you guys really creating like you said digging those trenches before anyone else has even done it because you guys really did i mean obviously bands like the asexuals and, and obviously mm. then doughboys you know ma- massively influenced by, by you guys um even looking further south um across the border you had a you know huskadu replacements yeah. if to my mind you guys were doing some of that stuff just before um, at the same time, it was, we used to call it the Great Lakes Rock, you know, because it yeah, was yeah. like us could do in Detroit, Minneapolis, all Chicago, all those places. It was all left. Do you, you know, know what's happening? Are you are you aware of this sort of network of, of bands and this sort of this? Yeah, well, there was a scene. There was a little scene, like you said, the asexuals. You know, we met them early on and stuff. A fair warning, genetic control. You know, uh, all these. There was little bands. There was like you know maybe ten bands. All saying it was funny because we'd all support each other, go see each other's shows. Very, it was small but still good, you know, like uh, familiar and stuff. You know, we'd see all the same people at the shows, even when big bands would come from out of town, we'd always see the same people at the shows. It was a scene, but it wasn't as like network. Like, I remember our first tour, you know, you'd have to like was you know it was hard to book tours you know you had to like find a club in every city across canada is not like england where you drive you know two hours and you're in another town you got to drive like seven hours you know it's like a long drive but um you know that's what makes canadian bands tougher the long drives in winter you know but um yeah no there was a scene and it was a bit of a struggle but the more it went on the more it got built so you know eventually there was a network like you said and we caught on to it you know be the guys from byo youth brigade they helped us out like on our first tours and stuff like that to get papers to go to america like it's not like now like you know you we before you needed like a letter saying you were going to go record blah 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 you know you had to there was ways around now you have need a visa and all this stuff you know which we got into when we signed with profile and toured with the godfathers you know so um yeah things changed you know it became more business-like but it was very diy like i said you know yeah absolutely and how much did like when you started tapping into that network um like how much did it sort of change change your sound or did, did it at all i mean what it, it seems to me that you know you, you sort of started off playing stuff based on the stuff that you heard from abroad from the uk from from uh the the british invasion and when you sort of now are aware a bit later on when that first album comes out um when you're sort of listening to stuff that's happening in and around the states and even in and around canada are you now you know, are you now defining your sound a little bit based on what other people are doing more in your your home home turf? Yeah, well, I think it, the sound changed like over the years. Like I said, when we started, it was punk, and then all of a sudden, in the early eighties, became hardcoreish. Right, everybody was sort of leaning that way a bit more. I think we never did. We we kind of stuck to what we you know what we liked, which what well, you said that melodic sort of pop, punky sound and stuff. But then, of course, like even we were doing it at the same time as the replacements or Husker Dues and stuff. And the sound became more like, I don't know, pop oriented, maybe more like, you know, I don't want to use new wave as a word, but more like, you know, more rocky sort of in a sense, you know. And that's like when we got signed up, we figured, well, let's go for the, you know. If, if people are interested in this way, we figured, well, let's make it sound good and make it like as appealing to as many people as we can. I mean, you know, it's everybody, you're in a band and stuff and 
your dream is to get heard, you know, and to get on the radio. There's no real shame on it, you know, not that radio is very good or anything, but, you know, it's like, that's what you aim for. And I guess the sound sort of progressed. I mean, his uh, the songwriting got different and became, you know, more melodic, more thought out. The words were more thought out. He he really did some beautiful writing on the, on the first album, I think, you know, we both did, but he he did the major brunt work and stuff and, you know, I helped him out, but he, he really took it to a special place that I thought, well, it's still considered one a really good album. And it's, it was put out in 1987, same time as pleased to meet me and, you know, Georgia satellites albums or all these other bands. And they're just as good, you know, like, as far as I'm concerned, it's just as good an album as that stuff. Unfortunately, we, we got uh, signed a shitty record contract, you know, and it, it were just was bad luck. And going back to obviously your, your beginnings, were you, were you surprised at how like, well received your band were you know, at that stage? No, not really. I mean, I, I, you know, I knew like at first, you know, like I'll be honest, sometimes it was hard live. Like we didn't come off as well as we we should have and stuff like that. But we got more better and better after tours and stuff like that. You become better. And then people started to catch on. No, we were always pretty well received and well respected at home anyways. And then when we went to America, it was amazing because people seemed to like it even more. You know, it was like kind of nice and stuff. And when you go to America and you say you're from Canada, there's kind of like this mystique about it. So, no, we we never had any troubles. We never got bottles thrown at us. We, you know, we never like got booed or, you know, pack your shit and go. You know? <laughs> no, no, none of that. We were always like do really well, you know. And then uh, we became, you know, we changed drummers. We got, when we did the first album, we, we wanted more of a rock sound. So, no, we, all, we always tried to make things the best we could. There was certain quality that, you know, Alex and I would strive for. And, and I think we maintained that, you know. It's not just some guy in a leather jacket screaming his head off, you know. It's like we wanted to make good melodic sort of punk rock and roll, you know. That would stand up to all the records we grew up with, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't want to turn this into into a, a as I said at the beginning, I don't, I don't want to sort of make this about missed opportunities and, and sort of sadness. But um, you you talked about the record the record deal, which is which has been well documented. But you know, for, for those that that aren't aware, I mean, you we've obviously talked about um, a bands like the Replacements and Skadoo that were doing stuff at the same time and have gone on to become, you know, renowned for defining a particular scene and, and you know, pushing indie music up um, into the mainstream. And obviously that led to other things that we talked about later in the nineties. So what, 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 why did you not, why were you not able to do that? What, what, what went wrong? What was the record deal that, that got it all wrong? Was, was, was there anything else that was happening at the same time? Because obviously things then went bad between, um, you know, in, in terms of you guys and you, yourself and your, your health and, and, you know, your relationships with each other and it was it was a, a spiraling situation at that stage it was a spiraling situation because what happened was you know all of a sudden it was we were independent we were doing pretty good we did the two eps and you know we were doing pretty well but then all of this there's always then this the the, the talk starts of like oh no you, you guys gonna be big stars and stuff and the minute that people start this is advice for young kids the minute people start talking about oh we're gonna turn you into big stars run screaming from the room you know what i mean because that's exactly what happened and then these guys called us up and uh, I remember, I th at first I thought it was a joke, you know, I was like, this guy, oh, I'm from New York City, we want to sign you up, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I thought it was John Castro, my buddy, playing a joke. So I hung up the phone. Guy calls back five minutes later, he's like, no, 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 man, this ain't a joke. I'm serious. I'm with Profile Records. We're like, Profile, doesn't that run DMC's label? So we're like, okay, well, what's the deal? And the guy, got, you know, he explains it. So what it was, was that... Uh, they were run DMC's label and they, they were making millions of dollars off run DMC. So they wanted to get a tax write-off. So they decided to sign like 20 bands. They signed like Girls School, Motorhead, uh, DOA. They signed us, Murphy's Law, the Chromags. So on and on the list goes on. They put out an album for each band and then dropped all the bands. 
But when they were signing you, they told you we're signing you for seven albums plus a live plus a greatest hits. So our careers should have been for nine years. My life was set and every year the money would go up after the first album comes out a month later. The record ends up in a Rolling Stone chart, which is fucking impossible to do if you're a band from Montreal, my friend, you know, unheard of. Okay. You're in the charts and now and everybody's like, oh, dude, we're going to know you're going to go on tour with the alarm. You're going to go on tour with Midnight Oil, you know, tour this and that. And then you ended up going on tour with the Godfathers, right? So we go on this big tour. We're doing really, really well. We're blowing them fucking away every goddamn night, you know, because they, they weren't like very good bands. Sorry. I mean, you know, no offense to the Godfathers, but, you know, but anyway, so and then like we were selling most of our records in the on the West Coast. So we're, we're working our way out there. We did the East Coast, come up through the middle and then go to the West Coast. And then the last show, like halfway through it, Minneapolis, First Avenue, home of the replacements in Oscar Du, that we're all in the crowd, by the way. They tell us, oh, you guys are going home. Like they, somehow, like I guess they were paying the Godfathers to have us on tour and they decided not to pay anymore. So that was it. And it's like, dude, after everything I just told you to happen, we were like cut off at the knees. And then we weren't allowed to go record for the longest time. We had all these other companies like Reprise, uh, you know, Atco called us that wanted to sign us, but we needed a release form and they just tied me up, tied me up for years. And we so you were stuck in a legal, a legal issue at that point. Yeah. And then I didn't, you know, we didn't have the money to, we, we could have took them to court, but the deal was if, if, if you take them to court and you lose, you got to pay their court fees. The contract was a, was a bad thing. How old are you guys at this point? Well, this was like 87. So, you know, I'm going to say I was 25, right? 62. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, you think that, as you said, you think the next decade is, is laid out for you. So you've got that plan and suddenly it just gets ripped out from under your feet. That's it. And then, and then, you know, then the inevitable happens. If things start falling apart, you know. Well, what do you what, what do you do at that point? What 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 is what do you? I mean, you're not able to record as the Nils. We 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 tried to keep playing. We kept doing shows and stuff like that. We kept doing demos. Try to 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 see how we could do it, but we didn't have a very, you know we we didn't have a good management and stuff and they weren't offering solutions and then i'd been doing a lot of the work as far as dealing with all this stuff and it just got to the point where i had no more solutions myself it was just like i i'm not a manager i did the brunt work when I, we were independent but at this point we if we would have had somebody like now we have a good manager peter work he helps us out but he should have been around then unfortunately we didn't know the man you know and um yeah we we would have needed uh help like that but you didn't have that now like all these bands have advisors and managers now we didn't have that we were just it was all ourselves like like the clash all done in-house you know like we did everything book shows you know and then uh yeah then uh, of course the inevitable happens bad things starts to happen people start to not get along you know and one guy leaves you know and then that's it you know you're just like you get new members but you know we couldn't go record so basically we were like you know what are you gonna do and stuff and then finally came years in the 90s it finally got a release form but I think it was like a missed time and stuff like that and yeah you know it's 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 not it's it's sort of documented with us we had issues with things that we shouldn't have maybe you know been involved in but you know it's like when when it's like your life dream and stuff and it takes uh you get it taken away like that badly yeah and sometimes people make bad decisions and you know and uh we were young men we were you know involved in this kind of business it's hard you know it was like uh it was just, uh, you know, but all that stuff, bad things like that happened after the, you know, like what happened to us was like, it wasn't our fault. You know, I mean, maybe if we would have had a, a, a really good manager, we could have seen it coming. But, you know, I remember when we signed the record contract, the lawyer said, you know, it was the same lawyers rush, by the way. He said, you damned it, you damned if you do, and you damned if you don't. He goes, what you guys should say is like, look, 
we'll sign this contract, but if we do really good on our first album, we're going to rip it up and sign a new one, which we did. And, but unfortunately we couldn't rip it up because to them, it was a tax write-off. It was like a scam, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was like, you know, we're not the only band that's happened to you. There's many people. Have, no, you know, but it's just shit because they didn't, you know, like you said, I think the key is you, you, you really, you are, you're, you're kids at this point and you're, you don't know how it works and you've been. No, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a businessman. I was a musician. I, I, I did what I could, you know, and then I, it, it just became overwhelming, you know. And what year was this? The album came out in 87, December. So this was like 89 when everything really, really started to fall apart. You know, so two years, not even two years later, you know. So like I said, you're signed for a decade and then two years later, you're like, what the, f-? you know. And two years later, of course, um, Nirvana happens. And actually the irony is um, really for that label, that, that label that signed you is that actually if you'd have stayed on, that music suddenly had become huge and it would have been, you know, who, who's to say whether you would have become as big as, you know, some of those bands like, you know, Soul Asylum or Goo Goo Dolls or all those sort of bands that eventually kind of rode on the coattails. But you would have been in that mix and that label would have probably done actually fairly well out of the sort of stuff that you guys were, were writing. So it just seems really either shit timing. I mean, you guys were ahead of your time in that in that sense, but it seems like they kind of missed. They didn't perhaps have the, the sense to, to sort of think about their long-term well, impact they, either. There was talk. There was talk where they were, out of all the bands they signed, that we were the only one they were thinking and maybe keeping. Mm. And then I, I was saying, well, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's do another album. We already had the songs. My brother had already come up with another batch of songs. So it was like, well, we did really well off our first album. Let's let's do another one, you know, like which is what like us could do you put out you know two albums a year almost i mean that's what in our kind of situation that's what it's like rem situation the replacements exactly it, it would have worked just perfect and it was the same type of music you know it was being played in every college station in america and it was charted you know i mean this is all documented this is and the goo goo dolls the guy they came up to my we were on tour with the gangrene and the goo goo dolls and the, the Goo Goo Dolls, this was when they were hardcore Goo Goo Dolls before they became the super pop Goo Goo Dolls. The guy comes up to you and goes, yeah, we have your album in the van. We're going to rip you guys off and make a million bucks. <laughs> and hence, you know, you got the Goo Goo Dolls, you know. And if you listen to some of their recording, man, it sounds a lot like some of the recording I hear on my first album, you know. But they're friends of mine. They're good guys, you know. Good, good on them, you know. They figured they could lend us a few bucks for our second album or something, you know. I mean, at least they were honest about it. Um, yeah, well, that's it. At least be honest, you know. You see, I mean, honestly, I mean, look, it, it's, it, it is, it's, it's, it's tragic what what happened to Alex. He was so young and insanely talented. I mean, anyone that hasn't heard some of that stuff, I mean, in betweens, is honestly like just and river of sadness and all, all those songs but some of them are just absolutely incredible um and and clearly what you said happened you know led to a really quite um tragic uh sort of series of of events that led to to the eventual demise of of your brother and the band and everything but but you know you do seem you seem pretty philosophical about it um you know, it, it would be easy to feel quite bitter and upset, but genuinely you seem quite, um, quite sort of sanguine. Um, obviously, there is regrets, but you seem in a good place. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm in a better place now. I mean, I, I did go through a lot of, you know, a, a really rough patch, like, you know, when Alex passed away and a few years after, even with music, like it's something that I love so much. And yet at the same time, I hated it so much because I kind of felt like, you know, it took everything from me and it took my brother away, too. And it hurt my mom a lot, who, who's helped me incredibly and in us through our life and stuff. So, yeah, you know, I, I try to be I'm in a better place. I try to be more like, you know. I'm going to be 60 like next week, you know, I, I mean, obviously now as you get older, you become the person you should be, you should have been. And, and, and I think like, you know, I made my mistakes. We all have, we all, we, you know, we do the best we can. I'm just trying to be a better person and, 
and and do the best I can with this. I, I you know, like you say, shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, as they say, yeah, you know, the planet's been aligned, whatever, but you play the hand you're dealt, you know, and, and in the end, there's nothing you could do. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy my life. I meet new people like the, my friend who's helping me with the records and stuff and this store, you know, it's, you know, I try to, to despite the bad and things that happen, I try not to dwell on it. I try to think positive to, you know, keep playing music and, and do what I do best, which is, play music you know i sh do i wish alex was here with me yes yeah every day i miss my little brother but i can't do anything about it you know like I, when it happened i tried to talk to god like you know and it didn't work you know it was like you know this is what happens and that was it you know so it's like what can i do you know so i try to be as positive and that's why like i keep doing it sometimes i think oh, i should give up you know whatever but i just do it because maybe it'll bring like you obviously you know you you know about alex so hey it's working you know what i mean so that's yeah. it and if we can keep playing music which is something we do we don't really care anymore from a long time now we we go jam every saturday we go rehearse Every Saturday from eight to ten, we're at the rehearsal. We've been doing this for forty years that I've been playing music or more, and uh, that's to me that's our love. Being in that room, the four of us just throwing the songs around, playing covers, doing that. Dude, we're in heaven. Let's rock and roll heaven for us, you know. And we're good with that. We get to do shows. We get to do recordings. That's all like extra bonus, you know. So. And have you got any like, tours lined up or anything along that? Obviously, you know, you got releasing um your EP in September. You're gonna have any tours lined up to support that? Not not as of, but we're working on it, obviously, because of you know the world's been stopped for so long, as you know. But we yeah, yeah, we're gonna get out there and, and play again. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, come see you guys. That's always been a dream of mine to go to Europe and stuff. So uh, you know, other people are doing it. So I think we're going to get our chance. But these new records is uh, the, the whole reason we're doing that, to get back out there. Oh, so please, please do come over if you get a chance. To the previous answer, and I'm really pleased to hear that. It's, it's nice to hear that you're in a, in a good place and, you know, you don't have to forget or try and, you know, try and erase any of those memories. You've got to live with them and you've got to sort of move on with them. But what, what do you think? I mean, I've alluded to the fact that you guys were ahead of your time. There was a lot... Um, stuff that perhaps you were a bit too ahead of um there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time that, that got got bigger like what, what do you think the legacy of the nils is when you look back um what how do you think you're going to be you know remem remembered how, how do you fit into the scene that we all sort of a part of what what do you think is the is the sort of legacy that the nils have have left or will we're pretty well known here in Canada and in America for like, you know, being the, in Montreal. Anyways, we were the first sort of pop punk band. Like I said, when the scene was happening, a lot of the bands were were sort of uh, hardcore-ish and stuff. And we've always stuck to that melodic punk thing, kind of like the replacements and stuff. People have said the replacements of Canada. You know, Alex hated that moniker. He would say, oh, you're the Paul Westerberg of Canada. And he would be like, don't say that. <laughs> But anyways, I think like we're I think we're up there with those bands too. When when they talk, when it like in the book, you know, they put us in with all those other bands. So basically the legacy is that we were a pretty good band that made some killer records and unfortunately never, you know, got to maybe go to the heights that we should have, you know. And uh, for whatever reason that may be, that's like it's not it's not even the issue that the point is that the kids and still look for the records and still want to hear them and appreciate the songs i was walking down the street the other day i live near a college and i see a kid with a husker do shirt i'm all hey it looked really worn in i said nice husker do shirt and he goes you know husker do and i go do i know husker do i go you know who i am and he goes no who are you i say i'm carlos from the north so the kid says to me he goes i've just been figuring out if heaven lies so the fact that he knew one of the songs off the album, he was just a little kid. I mean, I swear, I made my my whole week, you know. I was like, at least the kid knows that song, you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, 
That's the legacy, I guess. <laughs> that is really cool. So um, talk, talk about legacy. Um, are there any kind of modern bands who, you know, you really enjoy listening to, you know, maybe bands who have grown um, inspiration from the work that you've created? Well, I mean, I like, I, I, you know, I've, I like all kinds of bands. Like, But the, I think like the bands that are, I don't see bands now much as like bands anymore. I see music is like changing a lot. I mean, I, I still go back, like I said, I listen to my 999 records and, you know, all the, the, my Clash albums, but, you know, I... Maybe I'm I'm sort of a bit old fashioned or something. I mean, obviously I like the newer bands that had come out, the replacements, I could do when the Goo's whatever, Super Junk, all that stuff, Bob Mould stuff. Like I keep a, a, abreast of that stuff. That I just went uh, Saturday. I was at the Circle Jerks in Seven Seconds concert. So to me, that's like that's what I, I'm still stuck in that era, and I'm fine with that, you know. But I don't mean to knock it, but music has changed so much. I don't recognize, you know, something like before I used to, you know, like even the, the Manic Street Peaches. I remember when they came out, I was like, I'd go and listen to that and stuff like that, you know, because that's what I'm into, you know. But now I don't see bands that much. There must be. Maybe I'm not looking as hard or I'm stick to what I know. But yeah, you know. There's some, there's some, yeah, our kind of band, it's not what's popular now, right? I mean, like, you know, like I said, yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, you know, I don't even bother with that. I just do what I like to do and that's it, you know? And if by, by some hook or by crook you like it too, then hey, man, great, you know? Yeah. If not, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go buy the, the, the latest Justin Bieber record, you know? <laughs> don't catch me doing that. He's a, he's a big Nils fan. From Canada, so he, he should be. He is. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, look, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, Canadian bands that have gone on to do big stuff in the in the punk scene and the rock scene that I think oh, yeah trouble charger there's like uh, you know Billy Talent I mean even stuff like that you know you listen I listen to Billy Talent and I was like yeah okay you know I get it you know there's yeah, yeah. There, there's bands out there it's just I, I think our era was more like the kids followed the bands more, you know what I mean? It was like, you were a real fan. You, you got all the records. Like when I followed the jam, when I was a kid, I bought every single ever made. You understand? Like Japanese pressing, Spanish pressing. I had them all, you know, like every single jam record ever put out. And now I don't know if kids do that. I guess it's different because of the internet too, you know, and times are different, but I don't find it's the same. Obviously, it must be because people are buying vinyls anyway. So maybe I'm just not, you know. I think part of the problem is we have so much access to so much music and material. You know, it's just, it's just so easy to get. And it's a lot of it can be far away. You know, you hear it right here. And also, I don't think people actually listen to albums much. You know, you listen to more singles and it's it. how okay. we digest music a lot. Exactly. Now their attention span is different. Like in, like in our day, you had to go hunt for an album. It would take you like, you know, months and go to record stores and hunt for a book or something. Now it's on, on your phone and people are listening to music on a screen that's this big, you know. They're listening to like 30 seconds of it if they don't like the first 30 seconds. Yeah, I, I, that's a really, really interesting uh, stat that I saw a few years ago where if you look at the average um intro the average musical intro time from the 70s till now so the average intro in the 70s was something like 20 30 seconds it would just yeah. be the average intro time now or this was maybe a few years ago it's about three seconds because you've got to get people straight away you've got to get people you know and if they don't get it they just move on they'll just skip because there's a million other bands out there they're ready to go with and it's yeah. um you're right you sort of miss that and it's um it is a shame actually i see it i mean i've got a seven-year-old and um I'll say to him, oh, let's put a record on. He'll be like, nah. And he'll just, he'll just shout at the smart speaker and be like, play this, play that. Um, which, by the way, I've got to say, the Nils is a really shit name for a smart speaker. If you say play the Nils, it just doesn't, it doesn't get it. And you have to, you have to so oh that's, 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 a, I mean, again, from the marketing yeah. point of view, that's what you've got to think about these days. Um, Carlos, just a couple of really quick questions from, from me. Why do you think, or why did um, nothing happen with BYO? Um, when they were clearly interested and they had the track on the, the comp, did, did nothing ever happen in terms of a conversation around well, getting there was there was all this talk there was all this talk and uh, you know they were all like you know yeah we were curious in you and uh, 
I think uh, they went with SNFU, and I think that there was time uh, they were talking about it, and it went with uh, Junior Gone Wild. I think that's the contract that we could should have maybe got, but we didn't get. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, just like it's just like missed. It, you know, obviously, like on that compilation, something to believe in. The two best songs are ours and uh, Channel Three. You know, the first songs on both sides, and and I mean, we were like just sound like Channel Three for Pete's sakes. You know, so it couldn't have been like a perfect setup. And those yeah. guys are my friends. You know, I mean, I've had this conversation with them. It's like, why did that never happen and stuff? I don't know. So, so Carlos, obviously, we do ask um, our guests, who would you class as your all-time favorite band if you had to affect one? My all-time from... favorite band is The Clash. No, two ways about it. I saw The Clash in 1979. They came here on the on parole tour, and the undertones were opening up for them. Oh, nice. I had never heard of the undertones and I love the clash that worship the ground that Joe, we opened up for Joe Strum and the Mescaleros in the notes, by the way. And uh, we got to meet an amazing guy, but uh, back to my story, I didn't hear about the undertones. I love the clash and stuff. They were great, but the undertones blew the clash away, man. So bad. It was embarrassing, you know, but still the clash were great. I never knocked the clash. I just can't do that. Sorry. But the next day, I remember I ran to the record store and I was like, do you have the Undertones album? And the guy's, oh, we have the in-store copy. And now I'm like, fine, how much? He's like, 20 bucks. Give me the record and fucking run home, you know? (laughs) So that was my class story. And then we got to play with Joe Strummer, which is like, to me, that's what I modeled my band off. It was them, the way that they were all in-house. They did everything. That's how we modeled the Nils. When I, after that show, I came home and I told Alex, and man, this was the greatest thing ever. This is what we got to do. And that's why we made the Nils the day after the class show. Well, that was very touching. Um lovely guy as per usual um really really um thought-provoking stuff and it's just like we mentioned at the start of the show it's a shame that the nils um didn't quite reach the heights of you know the popularity which like which could have been but you know the fact that they're still making music still winning the audiences over and um out there making great tunes it's just a testament to you know how much they are loved yeah brilliant band i mean honestly i fucking love that band um so uh great great that we got to, to sort of have that story told um and i hope you enjoyed the chat um and as we said at the beginning if you want to get yourself uh some vinyl from the nils you can go uh to the backstore the record label reissuing the album shadows and ghosts and you can find the link to that in the liner notes and you get yourself a little discount by using the code SHADOW. So uh, enjoy that. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Do listen to the Nils. Um, and we see you very soon. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Carlos Soria from the Nils. You've been listening to the Punk Rock Academy podcast, the best podcast in England.